Hello, and welcome to Midweek in the Word podcast, brought to you by Faith Bible in Lincoln, Nebraska. Every week, we strive to become better readers, hearers, and doers of God's Word. Look for us every Wednesday where you stream your podcasts. Here's our host, Faith Bible's Adult Ministries pastor, Brad Myers. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Midweek in the Word. We want to provide a brief notice of what you'll see over the coming weeks here on the podcast. We're going to be breaking from our Bearing Witness series over the summer and into the fall in order to highlight some of our best past episodes. So as you're listening, you will notice there's a bit of a reference gap. We'll note things that don't quite line up with the timeline. But Lord willing, uh, we'll be back with new content in September. We hope you enjoy these episodes. I hope over the last few weeks you've enjoyed getting to hear from a number of our elders here at Faith Bible. I know I've certainly enjoyed the time and hearing from them, and hopefully you've enjoyed getting to know them just a little bit as well. Um, but this week we're we're back to, I, I'm going to call it back to normal here, here a bit. Uh, it's been a while, but we have a familiar voice back here on the podcast. Uh, Tom Rempel, our preaching pastor, is joining me again this Sunday after how many, how many weeks have you been off here, oh, Tom, been, yeah, since you've been back? It's almost like having a sabbatical. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, hopefully it was a restful sabbatical for you in that. Have you missed, have you missed being on the podcast? You know, I've enjoyed listening to the podcast, and the reality is, is that I, I felt a little bit like Jacob, where God kind of put my hip out of joint <laughs> so that he could make me more dependent. So mm. uh, I was grateful that we had scheduled in advance for others to be here anyway. So yeah. the timing was perfect. It's been amazing how God lined things up. And listeners, again, we hope that you've enjoyed getting to hear a little bit from the elders. Uh, but Tom, I'm, I'm really excited for this week's episode. I think it's extremely relevant. Um, and I'm excited to wrap up our series entitled How the Gospel Changes Everything. But before we get to that, uh, like with all the other elders, I want you to take <laughs> a little bit of time and introduce yourself. I, I know it can feel probably to many of that go to our church like they know you personally, but many of them probably haven't heard your entire story and some of these things. So I want to I want to give them the chance to get to know you in much the same way as the other elders. So if you can, give me your best shot at a one-minute <laughs> version of your testimony. Well, I'm a third, fourth-generation believer, and I was raised in a home where both my mother and father were uh, gifted Bible teachers. My dad was an evangelist, heard the gospel for many years, but uh, married, uh, father of one, going to Bible college in 1971, doing a homework assignment in the Gospel of John. God, in His grace, uh, revealed to me my need of a personal Savior. So mm -hmm. I had walked the aisle, I'd prayed the prayer, but never understood how Christ personally came to rescue me and mm -hmm. uh, that he didn't have any grandchildren. So uh, October 1971, bowed the knee of my heart to Christ and was born again. Mm -hmm. Linda would say that one day she was married to one man and a different man the next day without a divorce in between. It was a radical transformation of life. Very nice. It's, and such a good reminder of, of even the theme that we're talking about, you know, the gospel and how it impacts every area of our life. That reminder that the gospel is as much needed for the sanctification, but just if we saturate our life with the gospel, we never know yeah. who might be impacted that we assume has already understood the truth of the gospel. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it, it made me a passionate youth pastor, and mm -hmm. I think a pastor ended. I, I always go in to a congregation with the assumption that 50% of the people before me assume that they are born-again Christians and really don't know. Mm -hmm. And so I try to preach and teach that way to give the Spirit of God opportunity to bring conviction even to those that think they're okay and are not aware, because yeah. that was me for 21 years. 
Amen. Amen. Well, obviously, there's there's a bit of a track there after you came to Christ. I know there's there's a few different positions you held, but how did you end up being an elder and the preaching pastor here at Faith Bible Church? Well, 28 years ago, there were 12 heads of households felt like the Spirit of God was leading to a deception of another church. Pastor Kurt Lehman, Lincoln Berean, was saying, Tom, don't leave town. Help us plant another Bible church. And I had picked out Faith Bible Church's pastor, and it wasn't me. So uh, I, I agreed to say no to other opportunities God was bringing our way. Uh, so for about three months, we prayed together. We talked about it, and uh, I agreed to help the church get started and uh, and expected that uh, actually Dave Greenhood would be their mm. pastor. He's had 26 great years in Rapid City, South Dakota, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm still here. So I was part of the original team praying about it. On the third Sunday when they counted the offering, they called up and said, Tom, we can afford a pastor. Would you be our pastor? Mm. So I, I, I said, yeah, we'll do that. And the rest, God is just continuing to unfold mm. the history. So I, I came in as their, their called shepherd, senior pastor. And then at the end of the first year, we built an elder team of seven, and we've continued those numbers ballpark, but I've always been part of the elder leadership. Very good. And I know almost, what when, when will 30 years be of well, the church? 30 years will here? be April the 25th of 2023. Very nice. Yeah. Well, so we're, I know. we're getting there close. <laughs> no doubt. I'm sure it's gone by very quickly. Um, but I know I speak for many here at the church and just saying thank you for your faithful ministry. It's, it's not many people that have ministered for 30 years at one yeah. church, and that is both a skill and a challenge at times. And so we appreciate all you've done here at Faith. Um, okay, lastly, what's a, what's a favorite verse of yours and why is it so important to you? Well, it, it, it's really easy. It's First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. It says, faithful is he who has called you and he will be faithful to bring it to pass. Mm-hmm. Or as other translations, and he will fulfill it. And uh, in uh, August of 1971, uh, Linda and I made a last-minute decision. I was offered a management of a grocery store in some place called Auburn, Nebraska. And I went home told Linda that they want me to go there and manage the store, and I think I ought to go back to school. And Linda said, okay, why? And I said, well, I just think I need to kind of set a plan. Um, you know, 21 years old and need to kind of have a life plan. Mm-hmm. And she said, where do you want to go? I said, I want to go to Bible college. She said, why? I said, well, I just want to know if the Bible's true. My grandparents believe it. My uncles believe it. My cousins believe it. I just want to know if it's true. So we we made a two-week turnaround decision. I I resigned my position at the store. We packed up. We moved to Denver. We had no money and no plan. And my dad, who had no money, gave me the $90 for the first month's rent Mm. on the apartment. And uh, so I went looking for a job, and I ended up at a grocery store. And a week later, I got a, a handwritten letter from my dad and said, here's the next month's rent in case you need it. And I knew he didn't have the first month's. As my dad always said, I was a poor preacher. And I said, <laughs> you know, yeah, sometimes you are, but he didn't have any money. That, that was a major thing. On the mm-hmm. bottom right hand of that page, he wrote that verse, faithful as he has called you, he will bring it to pass or he will fulfill it. So that's become mm. my life first since then. Mm. Amen. What a cool reminder. What a cool story uh, to be able to stick with in your ministry yeah. of your dad's faithfulness there. Uh, well, listeners, I'm, I'm excited to have Tom back on the podcast, and I'm excited for our topic this week as we wrap up our series, How the Gospel Changes Everything. 
Um, we've explained how the gospel impacts a whole bunch of areas of our lives, and obviously we could go on with this series much longer, um, but we've talked about the gospel and your identity, the gospel in your marriage, your family, your work, your money, your time, and then last week, Dimitri talked about the gospel in your church. Um, this week, we're going to finish with what is likely probably a hot-button subject, the gospel and your culture. Um, I'm obviously, this is a relevant one, Tom. People are thinking about this, um, and we have no hope of completely covering this subject in a 20-minute podcast, but we'll hopefully start framing this out a little bit for people, help help our listeners to get a better biblical view of how to engage as believers with the culture. And I want to start off with uh, a man with a quote from an interview with Tim Keller. And Tim Keller, I know, is voice has been kind of a strong one on this theme within the evangelical community for many, many years. Um, And so I was listening to uh, or reading an article where he was interviewed in, and he he said this about the way believers ought to engage with our culture. And my hope was that it would get our conversation started off on the right foot here. He says this in response to the interviewer's question about what the mission of the church is. He says, I'd say you haven't discipled someone if they've only been equipped to evangelize and bring people to church. If they are truly discipled, they must be motivated and equipped to love their neighbors, to do justice and mercy. And they also must be equipped to integrate their faith with their work, namely to engage the culture. Put another way, the job of the institutional church gathered is not to change social structures and culture, but to create disciples who comprise the organic church dispersed, who will change social structures and culture. Obviously, he's talking about how both the church institutional and the church individual believers ought to engage with our culture. So, Tom, let's let's get going on this. Let's let's hear your take a little bit on what he says here. How does what we call or what the Bible calls the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, how does that intersect with how believers ought to view and engage with our culture? Well, to begin with, I'd like to go back to a line from uh, Sunday's message that uh, – that it said that God's mission to transform the world is transform lives. Mm. So it starts there, and I think that brings it into that's the discipleship that Tim Keller was talking yeah. about. Yeah. I think also the big picture we need to under, understand, we, we live in unusual times for Americans, but not necessarily for history. <laughs> and we have to keep that in perspective. Mm-hmm. That it's pretty scary for us right now. Something's happening. But if you read the scriptures consistently, you find out that this is not new, that God has continued to work. So mm-hmm. uh, that being said, and as Brian Clark preached last Sunday over Brian, that, that, that for the first time in American history, there are no established guardrails by which that when somebody kind of went over the line, even the non-church world, the non-Christian world would call them back. Mm-hmm. Suddenly the guardrails have been removed. And so it, it begins the Bible brings the gospel into life outside of paradise. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the best description is Romans 1, 18 to 32. It's like it describes what's going to happen when man suppresses the knowledge of God and worships the creature rather than the creator. Yeah. And so he turns them over to a mind. So how, we look at the culture and say, what's happened? Where, where are the rudder gone? Well, as a result of, of continually rejecting God as a people— as individuals and as a nation, then the culture follows that. Then we start not only doing things that are unacceptable, we encourage other people to do it as well. And we get offended mm. if somebody tells me mm. we can't. 
And I was also thinking then uh, we have to look at it from the Ephesians 2, 2. So he, he talked about he is the prince of the power of the air. You were, you were rescued from the kingdom of darkness where he rules and mm-hmm. set into the kingdom of light. So around us are still people in the culture living in the kingdom of darkness that the prince of power of the air rules. Mm-hmm. We live there as salt and light. But again, it, so again I, I was thinking about Ephesians 6. So that, that we need the full armor of God because the battle that we're seeing is not just cultural, but it is a spiritual battle of which the culture we're in is just an implication of that. Mm-hmm. And I think we tend to want to ignore that reality that beyond this sphere as we see it, there is a war taking place for righteousness and justice. Mm-hmm. Very good. And I, I, th- I think that both both is sobering of the, the the reality of what we face, the true reality. I mean, we can look at different manifestations of, of, of issues, you know, cultural issues or political issues or things like that. But the, the heart of the matter is sin. And the heart of the matter is so much deeper and so right. much more serious than even some of the symptoms that we see in our culture. At the same time, though, it's an incredible reminder that this war has already been declared a victory. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. it's sobering, but it's yeah. also incredibly encouraging. Yeah, that was the end of Sunday. Is like, you know, Jesus already won the battle. Yeah. You know, and if we're on the right team, when it's all over, we win too. Mm. It's, it's already a done thing. We're still there. I, I, I think I would say we were talking before we went live on this thing that that at least my generation was taught that somehow we could politically change these things and win that. So suddenly it, it becomes an external. Mm. If, if we get the right laws in place or we get the right people in the right position making the right laws, and yet we have the scriptures and we read it and say, the law never transformed any heart, yeah. and therefore the law could never transform any culture because mm. the issue with the culture was the sinfulness of the heart. And so the biblical answer to the cultural decadence is is found in the transformed hearts. And again, mm-hmm. doesn't mean we should not be light and salt and all of that. But it, but we don't put our hope there. And I think that's the that's the battle we have. How do we bring the gospel mm-hmm. to the solution in the culture when we have, we have been told that there are other solutions? Yeah. So that's the tension. That classic, you know, in, in classic C.S. Lewis fashion, you know, you cannot make men good by law, but without good men, you cannot have a good society. That's right. That, that That's quote right. has always stuck with me. Okay, yeah, so man. you're you're framing up this in kind of the the biblical narrative, gospel lens of scripture. If we look at it through creation, fall, redemption, yep. glorification, or restoration, finally, we know creation. We were created perfectly. Yep. Fall, sin has entered into individual lives first, but then obviously into the social institutions and culture that has been created. Thank goodness for redemption, the reality of God's gift to us through the Son, through the blood of Christ to redeem us individually, but we're not to restoration yet. Like, right. This is the That's component right. that we also need to understand. So you're saying there's a there's a recognition of what God has done individually and our responsibility to impact those around us. There's also an, a necessary understanding that we're not going to win every battle in this life, even though Christ has ultimately won the victory that frames out our discussion here a little bit. Okay, we want to get practically here in, a, here in a second, but are there any other places in Scripture that you would go to that really inform as we begin to talk, how do we, how do we wait patiently, endure patiently while engaging faithfully now? Are there other passages in Scripture that speak to this? Well, I, 
my mind goes immediately to, uh, as you were saying, it, it, when sin entered in, all of a sudden culture fell apart. Yeah. You know, and so you go to Genesis 5, and you realize the spiral down that ends up in mm-hmm. chapter 6 where God looks down and goes, the intent of every human heart is to do evil continually. But in the middle of there is that glorious light of hope where you've got an Enoch walked with God. So in a decadent culture, it's still possible to find hope in a relationship with the living God. And then, as we were talking too, you know, it, it, when you read the story in Genesis 18 of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, you just mm-hmm. kind of think that just that Lot just kind of whisked out. But, but then when you see the story in Peter, it's the second letter, he says, if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, mm-hmm. for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, was tormented, his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So again, it kind of pulls you back to the full text of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So he gives these moments, glimmers of hope in the Old Testament that as bad as the culture gets, God is still at work. And we didn't see the anguish of the heart of Lot reading the Old Testament account, mm-hmm. but suddenly looking back on, he was he was like us, watching the culture around him fall apart and people wouldn't listen. Mm-hmm. And what did he to continue to trust the Lord and walk with the Lord? Which is that incredible reminder that as believers, we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. Yes. God hasn't removed yes. us individually as soon as we come to faith in Christ because we have a task that we're still about that he's still called us to in this world. But we are called to not be conformed to yeah. the way this yeah. world thinks. Yeah, Romans 12. Yeah. You put John 17, you're in the world, not of the world. Romans 12, don't be conformed. It's going to constantly press you yeah. into its mold and fight back against that. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's try to think about this practically. Then let's let's get significant. Let's start talking about the significance for our individual lives. If these are our principles, knowing that the war is won, like it's going to be won, but yet we're called to be faithful where we are now. We're called to not be conformed to our culture, but we're called to engage with our culture. Practically, how do we start going about <laughs> this in our lives, Tom? Both as a church united and also as individual believers. The temptation is escapism, mm. and uh, you know we become monastic in our thinking, or we all sell. Which our, also isn't new. It's not new. <laughs> that, that thinking has come so about before. We, we sell our our city homes, and we buy acreages, and we drill wells, and we don't let anybody interact. And yet Jesus was known as the friend of sinners, so he mm. was in that. So he engaged him. So we have to remember why we're here. One of it, and you know, spoiler alert. After Easter, we'll talk about what it means to be salt and light. Mm. But salt is only good when it's outside the shaker, you know. So it's got to be, it's got to be rubbed into that, and it brings about a slowdown of the decay process. It doesn't stop it. So we as believers have got to be engaged in the world where God has planted us. We live here for a reason, like Daniel did in his day, and like Esther did in hers. So we do. So keeping that in mind, we have to remember as well as bad as things get. It, the darker it is around us, the more brilliant a small light shines. Mm-hmm. So we are light there. And, and then the balance, practically, Ephesians 5 said we should not even talk about the things that mm-hmm. they do in secret. 
And so we have to be careful that we don't get so engaged in talking about how bad the world is that we end up doing the Galatians 6 thing and be careful that you yourself are not tempted. Mm. So don't even, we spend so much time fixating on how decadent the culture is that that also becomes a tool the adversary can use. Mm. And then the other side is that you've got 1 Corinthians 5 in the church, people that are living ungodly lives need to be separated from the other fellowship. Mm. But he says, don't ask you to go out of the world, you know, because how are they going to hear if you do? (laughs) So it's looking for the balance of being Jesus in your square mile and recognizing that I've got to be alert and aware. I'm insulated, but I'm not isolated. Mm. And that we are loving sinners for Jesus' sake. And to keep that all, remember why I'm there and what he's put me there for will help regulate or balance your involvement, Mm. I think. Okay, so we've got these two guardrails, you know, of basically saying we can't run. Yeah. Uh, we also can't view our our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends as the enemy. Yeah. <laughs> like they're, yeah. they're people that are lost yeah. and, and they need help. Our culture is lost and they need help. So we've got these two principles. Um, practically, give me give me some advice here. Give our listeners some advice. What what sort of things can they engage with? What sort of things ought they not? You know, I mean, what's some prudence here? And we recognize that you can't quote a verse, <laughs> a verse yeah. here, but give us, give us some advice. How can we do this well? Well, I, you know, Paul wrote the letter to the Romans and anything that we're dealing with in our culture today, the Christians in Rome were facing on a regular yeah. basis. Yeah. And, and yet he wrote to them so that they would be transformed people. So I think uh, part of it is, you know, understand that God has put you where he has put you and establish the relationships that he has mm-hmm. given you for the sake of the gospel yeah. and and ask that, that he would use you for that purpose without losing perspective. Or as uh, I think it was Francis Chan's book, I can't remember, that said, if if your life can be understood by a non-believer, there's something wrong with your life. Mm-hmm. In other words, as you're living there, we live for a higher cause with a different set of values and a different purpose. So we ought to be people that are overwhelmingly known as people of kindness mm-hmm. and grace, that not people that are judgmental. Now, this kind of comes into a generational thing we were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, my generation was taught that if, if you want to be known as a follower of Jesus, everybody needs to know what you're against. And so we made it very clear we stand against this and this and this. In fact, the fellowship denomination I, uh, my dad pastored in, you know, we had a list of 10 things we would not do yeah. as members of the church. My grandkids' generation wants to be known for what they're for. There is a Savior, a Jesus, that in spite of how lost and decadent you are, he still loves you. The balance is somewhere there. I want you to know that I don't approve of your sin and that, but I also want you to know there is a Jesus that loves you in spite of that. Mm. And so going back to the Luke 15 text, I— there's the tension between being the younger brother who just puts it all out there and the elder brother who doesn't have room in his heart to welcome the repentance. Yeah. So I think practically we've got to be people that know that God gives second chances, mm. that he redeems, and some of the people around us don't even know. They're desperate for a word of hope, mm. and they've chosen the lifestyle they've chosen because somehow they think that that will fill that void in their life. And we need to show them that the answer you're looking for is found in Jesus. And, oh, by the way, he put me in your life so that I could introduce you to him. And so we start loving sinners for Jesus' sake. That will change everything. 
Well, and I love that you go immediately to the Jesus in your square mile. Where has God placed you? Because what you're talking about is you're talking about navigating what at times is a very tricky, narrow road with two ditches on either side. And and it takes a lot of nuance and it takes a lot of time to communicate what we're actually saying. You know, how do you say, I love you as an individual. God also has a holy and righteous standard. That is a relational thing that has to take place in time. Uh, Okay, allow allow me my moment, all right? Let me get on my soapbox here for a little bit. That sort of nuance isn't something that is communicated well on Facebook. No. It's not something that's communicated well in 120 characters or 240 characters on Twitter. Um, It's something that that really is communicated well, sitting across the table, sitting across coffee, sitting at the dinner table in your own home to people that you may not agree with and everything, but there's a hope in the gospel there the, and they need yeah. to understand that. And they need to see that in your life and understand yeah, that, that, that reality that, that they look at you and say, you are not the person I thought you were going to yeah. be. And, and we used to say, you know, just love them until they can't help but ask why. And when they ask why I say it's because of Jesus and what he's done for you. Mm-hmm. And so again, without compromising, it's still a compassionate caring. And if, if we as believers are simply known for a compassionate care with that, at the same time, having the courage of our convictions, but to, to be nice in the context of truth. I, 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 just, I just think that, that Faith Bible Church, believers in Jesus, ought to be known as the kindest people in Lincoln. Mm. And if we're there, uh, God will use it to bring hope to people. And over time, the culture will be transformed because souls and lives are being transformed. Yeah. Yeah. But it won't be by imposing new laws. Yeah. Yeah, and I, it makes me think back, and I, I'm, I'm going to forget this. So somebody smarter than me on church history that remembers names better than I do will have to. Um, there, was this, there was this individual in the church um, during, I think it was the Middle Ages sort of period, and there was a massive plague coming through Europe sort of situation, which again, not uncommon, and a little bit <laughs> resonate with that right now sort of situation. And, and there's this quote from somebody who watched the way the believers in that community engaged with those that were suffering and those that were hurting. Uh, and, I, and I can't remember the exact quote, but it was basically something to the effect of the amazing thing was, even though we hate these people, that they not only love their own, but they love yeah. our sick and yeah. wounded as well. And that sort of yeah. radical love, radical kindness, yeah. I think has the potential to get a hold of people's attention in a way that a Facebook post yeah. doesn't have a tendency to do. Okay, so we got to keep moving here because I'm, I'm, I know we're, we're going to run long on this one for sure. <laughs> okay, but we've talked a little bit practically. Talk, talk personally here. I mean, I know you guys are navigating neighbors, friends, you know, obviously being in the church, not so much co-workers, hopefully, you yeah. know, but yeah. grandchildren and children. How, how, how does this work? How have you guys, you and Linda, sought to engage with the culture personally? Well, uh, one is is that you, you've always got non-Christian friends. Mm-hmm. By that, I mean you're constantly in contact with people who need to hear the message of hope. Mm-hmm. I think secondly, you know, for me, uh, in my neighborhood, I've lived there for 28 years, and, you know, uh, probably 10 years in, somebody donated me a brand-new snowblower. It, it's, it's when I start the snowblower, it's going all the way around, you know, the neighbors and all, doing acts of kindness and care. And and they, they say, well, there's a preacher lives next door. But you know, all of a sudden they find out, well, he, he likes to play golf and, you know, he likes to fertilize his lawn and he likes to. And, and so you start to find common ground. Yeah. Uh, you make yourself available in their moments of crisis. So how can I care for you and, and how can I encourage you? I, and so I just, just came unsolicited, but somebody in the funeral industry made a comment to a family member of mine about, you know, your dad is different than most pastors, that he seems to really care about the people. 
And the man that said that had revealed to me that he was in a same-gender marriage. And yet he said he treated me with grace and kindness. That was unsolicited. It's like that's – so that's kind of where we are. It's like, you know, just do we really care about you because you're a, you're a soul, you're creating the image of God for eternity. And the other thing is uh, staying long. So we talk about, yeah. you know, what, uh, why did I get to stay 28 years? Because the elders didn't fire me. <laughs> you know? They don't know how they got me. They don't know how to get rid of me. But, but the fact is, is that we stayed in our neighborhood long. We stayed yeah. in the church long. We extended time relationships, open up doors that short contacts don't. Yeah. I, I'm reading a book right now. Um, I think the author is Rosa, Rosaria Butterfield. Anyway, the, 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 the title of the book is The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Mm-hmm. And it's this <laughs> reminder that <laughs> radical biblical hospitality, having people sit around your dinner table, number one, is strange in our culture today. We yep. don't do that Nobody much. does. Dinner. And it takes people off guard when we do that, when we open up our lives and invite people into our homes. But it, it also allows us to sit around the table with people and say, look, we don't agree on everything. Like, you're not a believer, and I am a believer. Um, but let me get to know you as a person. Let me hear your heart a little bit. Let, let you hear mine, you know, and those sort of long-term relationships. Yeah. I think it's amazing what God can do with our simple faithfulness and our square mile. We, live, we lived in what we called the yuppie neighborhood. I was 35 years old, and I was the oldest guy on a, on a three-block run. <laughs> but we could have block parties there at the snap of a finger. And, and so when we moved out of that neighborhood after seven and a half years, they threw a block party. And, and the thing was, hey, we're going to have this farewell thing for the Ramples, and uh, we've got Bud Light for everybody and Diet Coke for the Ramples. You know, it was like, it was like really, that's what they recognized. But the, the fact is, is that they, they knew what we stood for, who we were, and, and we had become friends within that. Mm-hmm. Some of that neighborhood now has grown up. The children that were there, some of them now go to our church. Mm-hmm. And one of them said to my wife, said, you know, when when I was little and I came over and played in your backyard, you took you took a, a stick out of my eye. You know, Linda didn't remember that. So it's those little things in the neighborhood where God's planted you that mm. wins the gospel. Mm. And that good reminder of the personal engagement yeah. and the individual yeah. engagement. We have a tendency to kind of fight the war at large yeah. and try and battle in this large-scale yeah. way and think we've got to win the politics and win the culture and and, and, and engaging there is not wrong, no, but no. individual lives are really where we're first and foremost called to. Oh, very good. Well, hopefully, listeners, this has been a helpful discussion for you. I appreciate your <laughs> thoughts on this subject, Tom. I, I really I know have that no this thoughts is, on it at all, as you can tell. <laughs> this is yeah. I know we could go two or three more episodes, um, but let me let me attempt to summarize some of what we've what we've talked about here. This this a few things just perspective wise. Number one, the reminder that what we're facing isn't new. No. That the church has faced this before, that since Adam fell in the garden, this has continued, this sin and depravity has continued since then, that we see so many pictures in Scripture of this happening, that the church has endured through things like this. They've continued to impact individual people with the reality of the gospel through seasons like this. And, and that reminder that then we're called to engage, especially on an individual basis, yeah. with people with the truth of the gospel. And with acts of mercy and acts of kindness and acts of justice and things like that as well. Um, But I like an illustration from the book, What is the Mission of the Church? Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert on this subject, what are we called to? And it really just speaks to what our conversation has been. And they talk about how how Christians are called, our mission is to engage the culture much like a spear attacks an object. The tip of the spear is the truth of the individual redemptive gospel for individual people. But as that gospel impacts, it's going to have a transformative effect on lives, and it does have the potential to have an impact on the culture at large as individual lives are 
are transformed by the truth of the gospel and the truth of scripture, um, as opposed to kind of taking a large scale approach to it. And, and in some ways it doles the effect of what we're trying to do. And we fail at both impacting individuals and the culture at large. And I hope, I hope that's a good encouragement for our listeners on this subject. Any, any final thoughts, anything you'd like to leave our listeners with Tom? Well, I just hitchhiking on what you just said from DeYoung and that, that's that, uh, as Paul was beginning to write about the culture and the, why the Roman world of his day was bad, Romans 1, 18 to 32, he began by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's the spirit. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. So there's a real question, I think, preparation for doing battle on the front line is we need to know what you believe, why you believe it, and you need to know who it is in whom you believe and Amen. share that with people. That's the spear. If they know that you love them enough to tell them that there's a blessed hope in Christ, that they can't, they can't stiff arm you any further. Mm. Amen. Amen. And then leave it with God who is sovereign over history and sovereign over all the events of our lives. Thanks for taking time to join us for Midweek in the Word. To hear previous podcast episodes, be sure to follow, like, and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about Faith Bible Church, please visit our website at www.faithbiblelincoln.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Faith Bible Lincoln or tweet us at FBC Lincoln. And now we leave you with these encouraging words from Hebrews 12. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith.